What is up, guys? Welcome to the Reborn Podcast. Uh, every week, I truly hope to inspire you. And today, I have the pleasure to sit down with an inspiring human. JP is a former Navy SEAL, and today he serves as a leadership instructor, speaker, and a strategic advisor for Echelon Front where he is also the director of experimental leadership training programs. JP is a pro team athlete, a spokesperson for the clothing brand Origin Maine and the supplement company Jocko Fuel. And he even has his own signature energy drink flavor, Sour Apple Sniper. But before his work with Jocko and Echelon Front, JP spent almost 10 years in the teams where he embarked on three combat deployments and was a sniper alongside Chris Kyle, made famous by the film American Sniper. JP, welcome to Reborn. All right, JP, welcome to the Reborn podcast. Uh, so I have, where did you get your hat at? I got it from Andy. Okay, because I got I got a hat just like that, but I got it from Emily. So Emily sent it to me on Andy's behalf because I reached out to him. I'm like, hey, bro, I love the hat. Like, if I can buy it, let me know. And he's like, no, I'll get some sent out to you. So he sent me a handful of them, and I gave a few to my best friends, and they they wear them all the time. Just the whole principle of the buffalo heading straight into the storm, not taking the eat, not trying to go around it, but knowing the best ways to go head through the storm, head first through the storm and like attack all the things that are in front of you in life. So I know that's Andy's kind of theory behind this. And uh, my buddies who follow that and also know that meaning or love it. So I try to, I try to wear it as much as I can. I just, I like it. It's a good little reminder. You know what? I'm, I'm a little disappointed because I didn't even get an explanation of the hat. Sounds like you got the backstory. I didn't even know, like, I, I thought that it was, had something to do with St. Louis or Missouri. No, uh, no, I don't think so. So Andy's talked about the Buffalo multiple times. Like I think he talked about it once in a podcast and my best friend, Stephen little him and his brother follow him, but they're also big into like what it, like the meat, like, like kind of like the meaning behind the Buffalo, how mm-hmm. they, mm-hmm. they just, if you see, if you ever see pictures of them, right, they head down and they're just going straight through the storm. Most mm-hmm. other animals will skirt around to avoid those really bad storms. Mm. Buffalo, they go head first through it and they get mm-hmm. through it faster than anybody else. And I just love that metaphor and that, uh, that just mindset of, Hey, you've got a storm in front of you, put your head down, and just do the hard work and get through it. Mm, I love that. I, 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 now I'm going to wear that hat even more than I already have. So that's awesome. A little different meaning, right? <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, absolutely. So um, I want to um, first start off this um, interview session with the Reborn Podcast. Um, I want to know why you decided, actually, let, let's back up a little bit. Um, give the listeners a brief description. I've already introed you, uh, but I, I want people to hear from you. Like, who are you and what is it that you do? So um, brief intro background. I grew up in Sacramento, California. I grew up playing Navy SEALs. I wanted to be in the military so badly when I was growing up or law enforcement. I had a lot of family in law enforcement and the military. Um, and it's just, honestly, it's what God put on my heart as a young boy. Like he really put that into me. 
And when I got older and I was in the SEAL teams, I look back to some of the things I did as a kid and I'm like, how did I know to do that? I, I, as a kid, just knew the principles of building urban sniper hide sites. And I did those when I was a young boy. And then as an adult, it was the same stuff we were teaching in the SEAL teams. And I was like, all right, that's kind of crazy. I, I knew how to stalk and build ghillie suits and do all those things with no one teaching me. And it was like, all right, that was just God putting that on my heart, which was really cool. Um, graduated from high school in 2001. I spent the summer working construction with my dad. Uh, went in the Navy September 5th, 2001. Six days later, 9-11 happens. I'm in boot camp. I have a contract to go try to become a Navy SEAL. I make my way to San Diego after all my basic schooling and uh, checked in with class 242. And I graduated with class 242, went through our advanced SEAL qualification training. That's when I met Leif Babin for the first time and Seth Stone and Andrew Paul and a bunch of other great officers. We went through that training and then Seth and I checked into SEAL Team 3 Delta Platoon. I uh, did two, two workups and deployments uh, at SEAL Team 3. Big one was where we went to Ramadi in 2006, Battle Ramadi, working for Jocko, tasking a bruiser. Uh, went to training. I worked for Jocko as an instructor, training up all the West Coast SEAL teams on urban warfare, close quarters combat. Our, we re, reformed our combatives training program. I stood up our marksmanship cell program. Uh, I loved it. I loved every day. I met my beautiful wife in Mississippi on a work trip. Instantly fell in love, knew I wanted to marry her. And, you know, I, full disclosure, anybody who really knows my past, I'd already had uh, two failed marriages. And I always put the SEAL teams as number one in my life, always. Because when I was in the SEAL teams, I had to be number one in my mindset. And, you know, and but I, I desperately wanted a family. And there's just something different about Amanda um, and, you know, her son, Aiden, who's my bonus boy. He was about four years old at the time. And I'm like, just really thinking about what I needed to be doing. And then moving from Mississippi to San Diego, just it wasn't fair. Um, She's pregnant with twins. We were getting married. And I was like, all right, that chapter has been great. I got out of the SEAL teams. I moved to Mississippi. I was doing sales at a financial company, which was a rough transition, but it was great. It provided income for my family. Amanda and I um, had some rough times. I failed to establish a mission when I got out. I would. I just wasn't fulfilled. Uh, There's a lot of lot of just bad things that were in my heart uh, from not transitioning properly, and it affected our marriage and our family. Uh, we got divorced for a year, and uh, luckily God gave us a second chance and. We went to church together with our, our, our kids because the kids wanted us to go. And I was—I remember I was so irritated because I didn't want to be around her. But I had a lot of anger and resentment in my heart still. And the, when we went to church together, the, the pastor was talking about letting go of the anger and resentment in your heart. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me right now. She wrote a little note that said, I still love you and handed it to me in church. And then we decided that we were going to give it another try. We joined a small group for couples. and. Um, we went all in with each other and we were able to get our marriage back. Um, uh, I left the financial company. I was doing my own consulting. I had the opportunity to go check out an event Jocko and Leif were doing. They brought me on board Echelon Front as a first leadership instructor. So that was 
an absolute honor um, and a privilege to be able to be there and be a part of that and have a seat at the table. And that's something I take very serious of making sure I'm earning my seat at the table at Echelon Front every day. Help Jocko and Leif grow Echelon Front as a company. Uh, so we don't just do keynotes and workshops anymore. We do a lot of different types of training. And I'm the director of experiential leadership training. So it's all the hands-on scenario-based leadership training that we run. Um, I'm in charge of that. I have an awesome team, Cody Gandy, the former Marine. We grew up together a little bit younger than me. He's an absolute stud. He's helped just grow that program. And Cody and I have also been building out our first responder training program through Echelon Front. Um, you know, his dad has been in, P in PD for almost 30 years. He's a cop in Stockton, California now, which is a real bad area. We have a lot of both of us have a lot of different family members in PD, and we just have that heart to serve first responders, not just PD, but first responders at Echelon Front. We know that our first responders are keeping us safe here in America and ensuring that we have the freedoms that our troops have fought to ensure that we have, right? And so they all blend together. And so it's amazing that, that, that this is what I get to do for a living now is, is go and talk and work with different companies all across the world and just share the leadership lessons that we learned in Iraq and Afghanistan and all across the world in combat and in training so that people can take those same principles and apply them to their life. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I do. My wife's name is Amanda and she's a huge fan of yours as well. I told her I'm going to have a podcast with Ashley and she's like, what? Well, tell us and hi, I'm a fan. You know, so we obviously uh -huh. both have followed you for a while. We love what you do, the influence that you have. And you know, that's what leadership is. Leadership mm -hmm. has nothing to do with your title. Leadership is your ability to influence those around you to believe in the mission, to believe in themselves, understand the mission, and go out there and accomplish it. So you don't have to have a title to be a leader and have influence. And so I think it's cool the influence that you have, our circle of friends that are all connected, even though we've never actually hung out and met each other, they're all very influential for making people better. And I think that's an awesome thing. Um, we have beautiful twin daughters that are 10. Uh, our, our son, Aiden, he turns 16 tomorrow. So that's fun. And wow. 16. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. That's uh, scary. That little four-year-old baby boy that I met is now, mm. I mean, he's a young man. He's six foot one or size wow. 15 shoes, 175 pounds. Like I'm always like, what's up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that is so um, crazy. Yeah. We, we do, we do jujitsu as a family as well and mm. we enjoy it. And so that's kind of I guess the premise of what we do. Yeah. I, uh, I want to kind of go back a little bit to the beginning and unpack a little bit of, uh, like, why did you want to serve your country aside from just playing, you know, like military Navy seal and it kind of like, you know, being something that you were familiar with, but you know, like why, like, why would you, why did you choose that route over, you know, choosing law enforcement? Honestly, God had already chosen that for me. I, I mean, I love law enforcement. Um, I was a little bit of a rebel in high school too. And I would have been too young and immature for law enforcement at that time. And also, I mean, you graduate high school, you can't go at least for the most part from what I thought is like, you had to be 21 to be able to go into law enforcement. And um, I might be wrong on that. I think, you know, that was something that I thought I knew at that time. 
But the military just appealed to me and that's what I wanted to do. And I also knew that if I ever got out of the military, I now had a good platform to go into law enforcement or be a firefighter, uh, some sort of service. But when I went in, I had really no idea. I planned on doing 20 plus years in the SEAL teams, getting out, retiring and, you know, just, I don't know, traveling or camping or doing whatever with my life. Um, But yeah, I just, that was what God designed for me in my life at that point. Mm -hmm. And that's the route that opened up to me. I mean, everything opened for me perfectly for me to go do that. Mm-hmm. So you were talking a little bit about you, you got into the military, you're going into boot camp, yeah. and then six days later, 9-11 happened. Yeah. Um, what uh what was the the mindset or the switch in your brain whenever you saw all this happening and you were like, I am in the pipeline? How how did that correlate to like your thinking? Were you like, oh shit, like I I don't want to do this? Yeah. Or were you like, yeah, bring it? Like, can you talk a little bit about your mindset a little bit? Yeah, no, it was more like bring it. Like I, I was like all right, this is what I signed up to do because in my mind, and this is before the war. So I'm, I'm naive, I'm young and naive. And the more people I talked to before nine 11, they joined the SEAL teams thinking we were at war secretly all across the world, you know? And so that's what I thought. I was like, man, I'm going to go on the SEAL teams. I'm going to go to SEAL team. I'm going to go through training. I'm going to be at a SEAL team and I'm going to be running covert missions, covert missions all across the world. That's what I thought. So when, well, first, when they came in and said, hey, our nation's been attacked, we're going to war, and left, I was like, ha, ha, yeah, we're in boot camp. This is, you know, I thought it was like a war drill. And then when we realized, like, this is serious, I was like, oh. And I, I remember I, I don't really, I didn't really feel anything. Now, there's a lot of other guys that were terrified. There's a lot of fear and uncertainty but I knew that, you know, our nation had been drastically affected and my my career path was going to be drastically. My life was no longer going to be on the same path that I thought, because if we're at a ma- in a major war, well, combat is going to be in my future, no matter what. I knew that I was going to make it through that training. There was no doubt that I was going to make it through that training. Um, and I made it through boot camp, my basic schooling in the Navy. Things are still going. I'm like, okay, cool. All right, I go to San Diego. I'm going to go through training, go to SEAL team, and I might deploy if we're still at war. I go to San Diego. I check in April of 2002 to class 242, and I start that training. And it was incredible going through that training, having instructors that had actual combat knowledge and experience. And so every step of the my every step of the way along that path, it was just indicators that I was on the right path. Mm-hmm. It's what I needed to be doing. And so I would use that as motivation of like, hey, I get to do this. Mm-hmm. This is an opportunity that I have every single day. I'm not giving it up. I'm not quitting. I don't care how bad it gets. This is what I need to do with my life. Mm-hmm. Whenever you were going through the SEAL training out in San Diego, um, did, did you notice uh, the the community that you had, the, the team that you were out there training with? Um, was there a mind, did you see like a, a mind shift, any sort of difference in them? Like knowing that they are training and... Uh, like potentially going out and just going into the to the knit and the grit of it. Yeah, there's definitely a shift of mindset mm-hmm. of guys. You know, the the high performers, the guys that made it through the training, they were very um, 
disciplined Mm -hmm. in their actions and their habits Mm -hmm. to make sure that they're optimizing the training and the recovery so they can be the best version of who they were. They took it serious. Yeah. They're playful because they also understood like life is short, you know? And so if we're not able to enjoy life, then we're wasting the opportunity in the life that God's given us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but there was definitely a difference in that mindset of guys just taking a little more serious, understanding the purpose of the mission of what we are going to be doing overseas, taking the training extremely serious. And that attitude was contagious from the leadership, the instructors that we had, they understand the burden of being a leader and being an instructor in our community. You have to hold the line and you have to make sure that our standards are extremely high and always being maintained. If not being brought up a little bit more because it's life or death mm-hmm. for us mm-hmm. deployments. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, one of the things that we are combating and fighting when we're working with first responders is once they've been in that community for so long, they tend to forget that mindset. They tend to forget what it was like when they first started mm-hmm. at that job in the community. And they treated every single day of training and their first, you know, however long, whether it's six months, a couple of years, Everyone kind of fizzles out at different stages. They understood it was life and death, and it is life and death. But unfortunately, you see over time in the first responder community and in the military and in businesses all across the world, complacency creeps in. Mm-hmm. And when that complacency creeps in, we we tend to start to rest on our, our laurels and, and things fall apart. Uh, I mean, that's what happened with my marriage with Amanda. We didn't get divorced because we're madly in love with each other. Still, we got divorced because we weren't communicating. We weren't, we weren't dating each other. Still, we weren't making each other a priority. These are all the things that I wasn't doing as a husband. And when people do that in their business and in their jobs and their relationships in their community, when you allow complacency to creep in, it's going to kill everything great in your life. Yeah, I think it's important. You know, something that you said about. Um, you know, it's a life or death, a life or death situation, like with your training. Um, I think it's really important to point out and, and I like to approach this mindset is I never want to be a liability. Like I want to be an asset and you can yes. talk about, I mean, the stuff that's going on in the world right now. Like, I hope a lot of people are, are taking a good hard look at, at their family, at their life and asking themselves, are they prepared? Because I know for me and like my husband's gone all the time, but I know that even if he is here or if he is away, I don't want to be a liability for anybody. Like I want to be an asset to him. If he is here, I want to be an asset to my boys and to be able to have a mindset and the physical capacity to be able to move as one single unit. And I think that is so very, uh, very important. Um, what, like, what is it that Like, was there anything in your childhood that, you know, cause uh, how many people went through the training through the, through the pipeline of, of the, of your team that you went through a lot, right? Yeah. So I started day one I, mm-hmm. with 222 people, I mm-hmm. believe was the number. Mm-hmm. And I believe I was one of 28 of those originals mm-hmm. that graduated. Mm-hmm. What is it that you think, like, do you think that anything to do with your childhood growing up? Because everybody enters into the program 
thinking that they're going to make it. They want to be a Navy SEAL. Like, you know, we don't have like the NFL, uh, we don't have like the Super Bowl and like somebody's like, oh, we're going to lose this. Everybody's thinking that they're going to be, that they're going to win, that they're going to be winners. So yeah. what, like, what is it? Have you, you know, in, in, in your time with Echelon Front and, and everything that you have built, um, looking back in retrospect, is there anything that, you know, a different mindset or a different mentality that you had approaching, uh, the pipeline of the SEAL training? Was there anything that you think that made you different? There was, and I can say this with absolute purity and honesty in my heart and soul, there was zero doubt Mm. that I was ever going to quit. There mm-hmm. is zero doubt that I wouldn't make it through. I, when I say zero, I mean zero. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of other guys that I talk to, like Jocko, he says the same thing. He's like, I had zero desire, zero doubt that I was going to quit. Quitting never even entered my mind. Mm-hmm. There was never, there was not one hard time during through buds. And there are some times that are absolutely miserable. Mm-hmm. There's not one time the thought ever came into my mind where it was like, I think I'm going to quit. Mm-hmm. And then I decided not to, not once. I mean, hell week is five and a half days straight, no sleep, all physical activity. It was just me being able to have the mindset of, I get to do this. It's an opportunity. Plus my mom, my dad, my grandparents, aunts and uncles, brother, sister, they all also instilled the my the the belief into me. They all believed in me. They all knew I was going to make it to the train. Not one person was like, "Hey, if you don't make it, it's okay." Not one person said that to me. Mm-hmm. And I know there are people that when their loved ones go to buds in seal training, or even guys that go to themselves and go, "Oh, if I don't make it, it's okay." Not one person in my life said, "Hey, if you don't make it, it's okay. We still love you. We're proud of you." Not one person. Everyone said. I'm proud of you. I can't wait until you graduate. Mm. I'm coming to your graduation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was just, it's just that mindset of belief. Like they instilled belief into me. And I knew that I needed to do this for my country. And it was an act of service. And I believe that when people put others above themselves, they're going to get what they need in life and they're going to win. I mean, you put your husband above your needs because he's gone all the time. And you're, you have a, a, a heavy burden that you carry with him gone. Amanda has a crazy heavy burden. Also, with me being gone and traveling and all these things, she would probably love for me to be home every day helping her out with the kids and all the other stuff. But, you know, you have to sacrifice some stuff to serve others for the greater good. And that's something I was willing to do going through training. I looked at the instructors that went through the training before me and I said, well, they're great people. They're good humans, but they're no better than I am. Mm-hmm. If they went through it, I can too. So it's the mindset of, of truly believing that you're going to make it. It's that affirmation to yourself saying, I'm going to do it. And there's no doubt in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, how did it, how did it feel in whenever you were graduating, whenever you started out with like 20 plus people and, you know, you're, you're looking around to, you know, you're standing shoulder to shoulder with your brothers with only like 28 guys left. Uh, how did that make you feel? Uh, it was great. Now that was 28 of the originals. We had some guys that got rolled back mm-hmm. during different phases. So our graduating class was larger than 28, but I mean, it was incredible. It was a huge sense of pride. I remember I was emotional at the graduation, like just so proud and just 
just emotional because my family was there and to be a part of this, to know that I was going into that community that I just I wanted so badly to be a part of. I mean, and we're gra- we're going through training and we're still at war. And, you know, part of the talks that they do at graduation is you guys are going to go to SEAL teams and prepare for war mm-hmm. and deploy to combat zones. And I was just like standing there going, oh my God, I cannot wait. Like, mm-hmm. this is it. This is what I want to do. And then going through the advanced training and then changing and evolving the training to better prepare us for combat was incredible. And then checking, I remember checking in to still team three Delta platoon with Seth Stone. And I was just, just trying to take it all in. I, I mean, I was 19, almost 20 at the time. Wow. Yeah. Maybe I was 20. Yeah. Well, no, I just turned 20. Sorry. I just mm-hmm. turned 20. Um, and you know, checking in seal team three. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, like this is insane. Yeah. Um, and it was overwhelming, but it was, man, it was amazing. So how long, like after you checked into seal team three, how long was it until you did your first deployment? Did you say it was about a year and a half? Mm-hmm. So the workup in the SEAL teams is about a year and a half, give or take, depending on what's going on. And then you deploy overseas. So the typical rotation at that time was an 18 month workup, which is total from all the stuff you're doing. And then, um, and then six, about a six month deployment. Uh, where did you go when you, uh, did your first, your first appointment? First deployment was to Iraq. It was to Baghdad, Iraq. Mm. Um, it was 2004 to 2005. So October of 2004 to uh, it was um, April of 2005. And um, we deployed to Iraq. And our mission that we t- got tasked with like five weeks before we deployed, we didn't do a workup for training for any of this. Uh, it was a last minute, like, oh, hey, you guys are taking over this mission. We took over the personal security detail mission of the elected officials and dignitaries in Iraq at that time. It was during the election time frame. There's a lot of attacks and assassination attempts on these elected officials. So we helped take over that mission. And I remember our leadership was like, hey, um, Boom, last minute, like we're going to all these schools. And all of a sudden now we went to the we to a secret service driving school <laughs> and their protection school, just trying to learn the basics of yeah. doing personal security detail. We had zero training in it. And we went to like a couple weeks of training, and now we're taking over this mission. And it was cool because when we got over, I mean, none of us were happy about that. FYI, not one person was like, Yeah, this is what I wanted to do. You know, that's another story for another time, you know, in regards to the mindset. But, you know, we all wanted to be doing capture kill missions. We want to be kicking in doors, blowing open doors, getting in gunfights, taking bad guys out of their beds, bringing them back to the authorities, getting intel, going and doing that over and over mm-hmm. and over, mm-hmm. which was what most of the SEAL teams were doing. And, man, it was uh, it was not what we wanted to do, mm-hmm. but it was a needed mission from our leadership. And we needed to understand it was critical and we needed to do that mission. Um, and it was, it was kind of crazy, but yeah. there's soldiers and Marines that were doing the same mission that didn't have the proper training and they were tasked with it. And guess what? They were figuring it out. So mm-hmm. we built some really good relationships with the soldiers and Marines and we just made it work. How many years did you spend in the teams? Uh, in the teams. So in the Navy is just under 12, but in the SEAL teams, it was just over 10. What is the biggest lesson that being in the teams taught you? 
I don't know if you can just give me just one, but um, like, you know, we all learn things through the experiences that we have. And, you know, how many, how many deployments did you get to do? Uh, just three. Two just, to Iraq, one to Afghanistan. Just three. Just three. Like that, that's a lot, especially during that time. That's, and as you know, it does a lot. It does a lot to your family and your friends. Yeah, I know. I just feel guilty because I have other buddies that are still in, right? Yeah. 21 mm -hmm. years in right now, and they're still deploying. I have buddies that have seven, nine, 11 combat deployments. So it's it's a little hard for me to be like, oh, yeah, I did three deployments. Like, it's a big deal. Now, you're right. Those deployments during that time frame, we were getting after it. And we did in Ramadi... Some of us from Ramadi have more gunfights and combat experience from that one six-month deployment than most people do in their 20-year career. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm thankful for that. Mm -hmm. I did some cool stuff in Afghanistan with a group that I wanted to be a part of, learned a lot. The first one, like I told you about, I did. I learned a lot also doing something I didn't think I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would say, actually, the, the number one thing that I learned from being in the SEAL teams is that humility is the number one characteristic of a great leader. Mm. And to reiterate this point, <clears throat> leadership has nothing to do with your title. It's your ability to influence those around you, to believe in themselves, to believe in the mission, to understand the mission and take action. So you don't have to have a title to be a leader. And since that is the case, and that is true, then as humans, the number one characteristic is humility. And you think about it, some of the some of the people that we just love being around, when you look at them, they're humble. Nobody likes being around arrogant, cocky, rude people. We like being around humble people. And that doesn't mean that they're not successful. It doesn't mean that they're not confident. They're not bold. They're not, you know, a little like, like a little more abrasive than other people at times. But the generality of it is some of the greatest leaders out there are extremely humble. And part of humility is the ability to listen to other people, which makes you a good communicator. And that's why communication is the number one skill set. So the number one trait is humility. The number one skill set for success as a leader slash human is the ability to communicate. And that's not just talking to somebody. That's me listening and taking in your answers, your feedback, your opinion, finding ways to make your opinion the correct one to be able to buy in and connect them. That's what makes you a good person and a good leader. You have to listen in addition to just talking to people. So humility is a number one characteristic of a great leader. And I look at all the great leaders, the great people that I worked with in the SEAL teams, they were so incredibly humble. It was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to reiterate something. Mm -hmm. Being humble doesn't mean that you're weak and passive. You can still be bold and dynamic and powerful, yet humble. I agree. That was very, very beautifully put. Um, and such a strong statement and, and something for people to just really absorb and, and to take in um, what you just said. Today's episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley. They make incredible beef sticks that are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. Many on the market, they claim to be grass-fed, but they're actually finished on grains. 
Paleo Valley uses uh, the beef sourced only from small domestic farms in the U.S. They pride themselves on the premium ingredients, including the real organic spices, to their beef stick. They don't use the conventional spices sprayed with pesticides or the natural flavors often made from the GMO corn. They're keto-friendly. That's a plus if you're into keto, low-carb. Uh, they taste amazing, and it's a great protein snack for on-the-go for you, your kids, your family, your friends. If you head on over to paleovalley.com and enter in the code ASHLEY15, all caps, A-S-H-L-E-Y-15, at checkout, and you can get 15% off of your order. Whenever you came back from the combat deployments, did you think that there was ever enough support for you kind of transitioning from going overseas to where it's just a completely different world to coming back to the States? Uh, was that transition ever difficult for you? Yeah. It was. It was pretty bad for me and mm-hmm. a lot of our guys, especially after Ramadi. Mm-hmm. But the SEAL teams didn't know. I mean, this that was the most sustained combat the SEAL teams have ever seen since Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the problem, the problem is, is you guys are, are built to never talk about that. You know, you're bulletproof, you have your armor on, like you can't talk about the things that bothered you over there. You don't, you know, you're not, you're a Navy SEAL, you're not supposed to. And I think that, um, a lot of the issues that we're seeing today from guys and, and veterans is, is because there wasn't really an outlet for anybody to talk, to talk to. And, and, you know, you guys are, you know, I guess, uh, like textbook, like, like you're indestructible. And you shouldn't have feelings or you shouldn't need to talk to anybody because you have the title of a Navy SEAL. Yeah. And that counters what I just said about humility, right? Mm -hmm. Being a humble person. Mm -hmm. Um, But we didn't know Mm -hmm. what we didn't know at that time in our community. I mean, the upper echelon leadership, they didn't know that guys needed to go talk to people. They didn't know that guys weren't going to go talk to people. They didn't know guys were going to hide things through drinking and taking painkillers mm-hmm. and all these things, guys having surgeries and getting, I mean, the VA is like, oh, cool. You had surgery. Let me just, how much meds do you want? Oh, you need some more? Let's throw you some more. You need, you want some more of that? Cool. We'll throw it on there too. And so guys were just just doped up on painkillers and alcohol, just trying to numb things and just trying to figure stuff out. And our, our leadership had no idea. Our community had no idea. And I will say our community now is so good at providing guys the support, the decompression, the new mission, the understanding, the work, um, you know, to get the help that you need when you come back from something like that, just because, you experience a traumatic event or high sustained combat in a stressful environment, just because that stresses you out a little bit, or you're a little irritable, or you have problems sleeping or weird dreams or whatever, who cares? Whatever it is, that doesn't mean you're weak. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong. It just means that you are in an environment that's not meant for humans. Mm-hmm. And okay, cool. What do we do? We fix it. If I broke my fist, uh, doing Muay Thai, guess what? I'm going to go to the doctor and they're going to reset it. I'm going to get a cast and I'm going to let it heal. And then I'm going to do physical therapy to strengthen my hand and my wrist and everything back up. But a lot of combat vets, they don't do that. They don't go talk to anybody. They don't learn to have an outlet. They don't understand that they're masking all these other things 
that never fixes it. And Mm -hmm. guess what? If you never address a problem or work through stuff, it only is going to get worse over time. It never goes away. You might suppress it, but man, I'll tell you what, it'll come back 10 years down the road when you have no idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's stuff that I went to a men's retreat through my buddy's ministry this last weekend. And there was stuff I was working through that I didn't realize I had suppressed from high school. Mm. I'm 38 years old, 20 years ago, legitimate stuff from 20 years ago came up. And I talked about for the first time ever in my life. And I was like, oh my gosh. And then during deployments and the guilt of not being on deployments and losing my best friend and my roommate and my other close buddies, the guilt of being out of the military and not being a part of what my guys are still doing. I had zero clue. I was holding on to that stuff. I had zero clue. And so people, you need to understand it's okay to talk to people. Yeah. To kind of figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How how was that transition for you leaving um, what is known as the brotherhood? And you know, you met a girl, you fell in love, and you said, "I'm moving to Tennessee." Is that where it was? Tennessee, well, Alabama, Tennessee? No, no, North Mississippi, Mississippi. near Mississippi. Memphis, Tennessee. Same gotcha. thing. Okay, same thing. Tennessee. Same. I lived in Mississippi. I worked in. Tennessee. So all the same, same thing. Okay. How, how was that transitioned for you? Um, getting out of the military, like, you know, you kind of like had like, you know, your, your mind and your heart and you, you wanted to be there and you left the, the brotherhood took a sales position job. Am I right? Is that what you did? How, like, how was that? How was that like with your like mentality and, and being able to transition from, being a Navy SEAL and having that brotherhood now being put in a place where, you know, your coworkers, they don't communicate with you the way that your SEAL team buddies did. The mission wasn't the same. I've got some really funny stories <laughs> that I've shared with people about like when I got out of the SEAL team, uh, there was some unique situations and conversations that I realized, oh, mm, I'm not around Navy SEALs anymore. Can't say that. Can't joke about that. Can't respond that way. So uh, I, uh, I had quite a few, not a quite a few, I had a handful of uh, visits to the HR office uh, talking through some stuff. Um, now, luckily, I had a good relationship with our HR mm. manager or director of HR, whatever she was. She's a real sweet lady. Uh, the owners of the company, they really liked me. So they were kind of trying to help guide me. There was one guy who's a veteran in the company. He's an advisor. He was an old Vietnam vet, a bunch of combat experience. And so he would always be like, hey, uh, his name is Bill Luckadoo. He's like, hey, JP, can you come by my office and talk to you a little bit? He's like, hey, you're doing really good. Now, he's always, he's so smart. He's like talking about all the things I was doing well and give me advice. And then he'd always kind of be like, hey, just something to think about. You know, and I'd be like, yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Oh. He's like, but, I mean, he's an old school Vietnam vet. And he thought it was, it was pretty funny. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was, it was rough, yeah. but um, I thrived. 
I love doing sales. The sales guys I worked with were great. I had really good friendships with them. I still talk to a few of them, just, mm-hmm. hey, how are you doing? Thinking about you. I mean, these guys taught me what I knew about the industry and selling, and they helped me out. Uh, like I said, the leadership of the company uh, were, were pretty squared away. I had good relationships with them at the time, almost all of them. Mm-hmm. One of them I I never really fully did. And um, there was a reason for that. And he showed his true colors later. And the mm-hmm. other owners, unfortunately, they all split apart mm-hmm. because that one dude. Have, have you have you ever have you ever heard of the saying, um, nobody wants to eat an M&M if there's a turd in the in the M&M bowl, a bowl of M&Ms? <laughs> nobody, no, nobody wants to eat any of the M&Ms if there's a turd in the M&M bowl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I want to uh, I want to talk about a little bit. You're with Echelon Front. Yep. And you did you know Jocko prior to getting in with Echelon Front? So you made a transition in your life because you're not with that sales company anymore. Yeah. So <laughs> I first met Jocko in 2005 when he took over our task unit. So I was in Task Unit Bruiser, you know, Jocko and Leif. They uh, started Echelon Front together, Jocko Willink, Leif Babin. They wrote the book, Extreme Ownership. They also wrote Dichotomy of Leadership. Jocko's wrote a bunch of other books as well. But I worked for Jocko in Task Unit Bruiser. Mm. So Leif Babin was the OIC of Charlie Platoon. Seth Stone was in Delta Platoon. Our two platoons worked under Jocko. Jocko was our boss. They were the officers in charge in Charlie Platoon. You had Leif Babin, and then Chris Kyle was the lead sniper and point man. I was the lead sniper and point man in Delta Platoon. So Chris and I worked together. We were each other's counterparts. And uh, so I've been working for Jocko since 2005. We deployed, we did our workup. We deployed to Ramadi. He took over training. I was an instructor working for Jocko, revamping all the training for the West Coast SEAL teams. I got out. He had retired. He was doing some other stuff. Him and Leif started Echelon Front. And then I was just always kind of in contact with Jocko over the years. And then I was reaching out to him. I said, hey, listen to the podcast. I've read the book. You know, book helped Amanda and I actually get back together in addition Mm. to the church group that we went to. And um, I said, hey, if there's anything I can do to help you, let me know. We would love to help anything. And I just continuously reached out and finally came to a point. He said, hey. We're doing an event in San Diego. It's a two-day leadership event called the Muster. Uh, it's the first one we've done of this. Like, come check it out. See if you want to do it. And um, I, I made my way out to San Diego. I saw what they were doing. I saw the impact, and I was drawn to that like I was drawn to go in the SEAL teams. It was incredible feeling that feeling again. And I told him in life, I said, hey, I'm all in. Whatever you guys need, I want to be a part of this. And then that's when Jocko had me on his podcast for the first time, uh, Jocko podcast, episode 46. I kind of share my story, came on board the team. And then episode 246, uh, I re, uh, you know, it was like, kind of like, Hey, where I've been at Echelon Front. So I've been with them over five years as mm. the first leadership instructor that they brought on board. And then I've been able to help build out our hands-on scenario based leadership training that we run. And, uh, it's pretty incredible being able to do that. And, Jocko's the same Jocko that I worked for in the SEAL teams, but just at an elevated and a much higher level when it comes to all aspects of his life. Mm -hmm. I mean, the guy continuously evolves and grows just like Leif Babin does. 
I mean, I look back at the guys that I worked for in the military and they are phenomenal leaders. And then now on the outside, the impact that they're delivering all across the world, it's pretty humbling to be a part of this team. Mm -hmm. I I can kind of imagine how that transition must have been from you for you from going, you know, from being in San Diego and being on SEAL Team 3 to doing your combat deployments um, and then coming back, transitioning your life over here over by the East coast. And, um, but it's almost like, cause I, I, it's almost like the language that you guys speak in a sense that you were used to is different from the language that you were speaking in a civilian setup at the time. And so I can imagine how that must've been whenever you saw Jocko and you saw what he was doing and you're like, dude, that's my language, the leadership. I know this guy, like I want in yeah. on that. Like it was like yes. your tribe. You nailed it right on the head. It was being a part of something that I was really good at, mm-hmm. that I loved, that I was missing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I get that same feeling, but just mm-hmm. in a different as- a different world. Mm-hmm. Let's go, baby. Come on. Can you explain to the listeners a little bit what Echelon Front is and, and what type of services it provides to civilians yeah. and CEOs? Yeah, Echelon Front, we're, we're the premier leadership company in the world. Uh, Jock and Lay started it. Then they wrote Extreme Ownership. They started the leadership company based around the principles that we taught in the SEAL teams for leadership. Mm. Jocko, when he took over training, it was called the Jocko Brief back in the day because he saw the training that we we're putting guys through and realized, hey, uh, we're lacking some basic leadership skill sets. And that was true. I mean, we were lacking it pretty big in our community. And so you under, he, he created the laws of combat, the mindsets for victory. And we were teaching that the guys going through training. And then Jocko and Leif created it to where it's now applicable to individuals and companies all across the world. So we give keynotes at different events. Like I'm, you know, in April, I just had a call before this. I'll be giving a keynote at a big kickoff at an event in the technology world. I'm trying to say what I can actually say for their, <laughs> their world. Anyways, technology having to do with surgeons and some other really cool stuff that I was like, man, this is going to be a great event. So I'm giving a kick. I'm giving a keynote to kick off their event because they want to set the tone for everybody there taking ownership, being responsible for their actions, improving their communication, building relationships, simplifying the communication, working through all the problems mm-hmm. and being able to attack the problem systematically and actually building out their team so that they can go out and do the same thing without them babysitting them. Mm-hmm. And so that's what they want me to kick it off for. So we give keynotes. We do full day leadership workshops where we're diving deep into the principles, having roundtable discussions like, okay, hey, where are you failing with cover and move? Who are you not building the proper relationships with? What departments do you need to break down some silos? How can we improve your communication? So we'll do that. Um, we have uh, a program that Dave Burke developed. It's our LDAP. It's our leadership development alignment program. So it's a long-term partnership with the company, six months up to like three years Mm. where we're working with the leadership, the executives, uh, frontline troops of just ingraining this uh, training into their culture. Yeah. Um, We have the hands-on scenario base. Like I run, they're called FTX's field training exercise. It's all hands-on scenario base. So we have a group. Uh, And we do it for corporate and individual. The corporate side, you know, company brings us out. We work with a select group of their leaders. 
uh, whether it's one, two, three, four, five days, depending on how many people they want to put through the training. Uh, we, we run capture kill missions and, uh, hostage negotiation missions and, you know, tribal engagement missions with these high speed laser tag systems that we got. So you feel the pressure, you feel the stress. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's pretty legit. You know, I give you an Intel package, you have your leadership that's going to plan and execute the mission. You go out and execute the mission against my role players, which are all, former current seals green berets marsoc swat guys i mean and they're running the scenarios but all the scenarios are scripted to reiterate and dictate the leadership principles that we teach so when we come back from a mission we sit down and say hey what was your key takeaway mm-hmm. and then we talk about what you learned in regards to leadership not tactics we're not teaching tactics but leadership and how does it apply to your personal and professional life? And that's the biggest thing that people get from the training is the debrief, breaking it down, having tools to apply. Um, Jocko and say it's the most impactful form of training that we have because it's hands-on in a stressful environment. It shows you who you are as a leader and shows you what you can work on and what you can double down on in regards to your good personalities as a leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a couple of different things. I mean, we have a, a battlefield that we're now running where, you know, go to different historic battlefields with Jocko Leif and other instructors. And they're running through those leadership lessons that they, you know, have learned over there. Um, but uh, also for the FTXs, we have individual ones where like, let's say you wanted to come or uh, somebody had like a small company and they, they couldn't bring us out because they don't have a large enough group or the budget. We have individual FTXs available. We have two of them in April. Uh, they're almost sold out. We keep it as a small group and it's two full days of that training with Jocko, Leif, myself, Cody Gandy, and other instructors. And it's pretty legit. I mean, when I, it's 35 people or less per group wow. for two full days. So you're getting an intimate setting conversations, one-on-one coaching and talking with Jocko Leif, myself, and the other instructors. So it's it's pretty legit. We have the muster, which is a two-day event that I told you about that Jocko was like, hey, come check it out. I mean, we have one in uh, actually just sold out in March here in Dallas. In uh, June, we have one in Denver and then October in Atlanta. And it's two full days of Jocko Leif and the whole Echelon Front team working through the leadership principles and talking about it. it's like a leadership symposium, but on steroids and pretty awesome that everybody's there. No one's falling asleep. Everyone's engaged in it. If you want, we have optional PT in the morning. So oh, it's, who's, oh, who's, yeah, it's who's cool. teaching the PT, man. Are you guys looking for somebody to put people so through we, PT? We might, I mean, we run it. So what we do is we go do the workout and then we run the group through the workouts. Uh, but that would be legit. If you ever want to come check out a muster, I mean, it's all like, you know, just it's, it's a lot of fun. And I'll tell you what, when around four to five to 600 people show up in uh-huh. the morning to do a group workout, that energy is absolutely incredible. You know what, JP, they may come to my workout in the morning, but they probably wouldn't be able to attend class the rest of the day. So we yeah, might- <laughs> I know. I don't, I, yeah, we, we have to be strategic with this. Yeah. Like, the tactical win is getting one of your awesome workouts in strategic loss is they aren't physically able to make it to <laughs> yeah. the rest of the classroom portion. So 
We'll give them baby steps to work up to what you do. You, you know, what's awesome about this whole, you know, kind of going over your lifeline is that, you know, you, you were fulfilled when you were serving in the teams, you were fulfilled going through the pipeline and going and, and serving your country. Yeah. You are fulfilled now because you are still serving, but you're serving a different demographic. That is basically the same thing. There's yes. so many parallels from, from the leadership and uh, the mindset of the military background that you have that has, uh, you know, it's just, it's fortified what you have learned through the teams and through your missions that you've done to where you are now. Well, and it's incredible, like all those doors and opportunities that it opens up because the people I've met all across the world, what I've been able to learn and how it's prepared me to be able to do other stuff. Like I went to that retreat and like I said, it really helped me understand a lot of stuff, but it also opened up the door to like another calling of, in addition to what we do at Echelon Front, which Leif and I talk about it, like, man, this is a form of ministry as well, because we're, you know, we're helping people be better leaders you know, a lot of the stuff that we do is, is correlated to what people teach in the Bible and everything else like that. And great leaders all across the world. We haven't reinvented anything. We're just, it's just talked about a little bit different with our spin is, is now like, I keep, I get to keep doing what I'm doing actually on front, but I built a team that allows me to throttle back a little bit. I mean, actually I've been gone for five years. I've been running and gunning for five years and now I have a team in place that's fully capable. They don't need me ever. And it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at first my ego used to be involved because I'm like, no, I need to be a part of it. I'm like, no, actually, if I did what I'm supposed to, they don't need me mm-hmm. and they're better at it than me, mm-hmm. which is cool. Mm-hmm. And so now it's open opportunity where, because my buddy's ministry, walking in truth ministries that I went to, I now get to help him serve for some future men's retreats. Mm. And it's cool that I actually have the bandwidth to do that. And I don't have to be gone for work all the time. And, you know, we have a, a, a men's retreat in June coming up and one in, 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 uh, in September that they want me to be a part of and help be as a leader at this event. And it's just like, that opportunity wasn't there five year, yeah. years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's just the ability to continue to serve I'm just, I'm so excited for just what the future is going to mm-hmm. bring to us. And I mean, being thankful is an understatement for what Jocko and Leif have given me. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, I said at the very beginning, and I daily try to remind myself, like, I'm thankful for the seat at this table mm-hmm. and I will never take it for granted. And I think a lot of people, they start to kind of fail in life when they let that complacency creep in any aspect of your life. And I know you understand this because of the amazing work that you do, all the clients that you have, you know, people don't get, people don't fail in life because that's what they want to do. They allow complacency to creep in. And then they, they don't have that sense of urgency to earn the seat at the table, whatever seat at the table you have, whatever table you want to be at, maintain that seat. Mm -hmm. And you can't maintain it if you don't show humility. And I think that's another thing that people need to remember is the more humble we can be, the better we're going to be as an individual. Mm -hmm. That means we're going to be a better leader, a better member of the organization, a better husband, a better father, mother, wife, whatever. Just humility is something that is lacking in our world and leadership is lacking. Mm -hmm. I don't care where you stand in regards to your beliefs, but I think something we all can agree on 
is that our lead, our world needs better leadership. We need more leadership right now, mm-hmm. more than ever, mm-hmm. especially when we see what's going on right now. It's like, we need good leaders. We need good leaders. Um, well, I can just say, like, I, I know that, um, I can say on behalf of myself that I am thankful for people like you and the companies like Echelon Front where I can go as a young entrepreneur and I can get guidance and direction and know that like I'm either doing things right or I can adjust or pivot uh, when it comes to, you know, because ultimately I want to become a better leader because I want my chiefs that I have in place to become better leaders. I want them to run business day-to-day operational without needing me. And that's when you know that you are um, allowing the freedom of your team to grow and to make the mistakes and um, to become better leaders themselves. Because at the end of the day, the growth of the capacity of a company has to do with all about the leaders that you have on the ground, right? Yes. I love what you said. It reminds me, Jock and Leif always talk about this. And at Echelon Front, we try to all talk about it and teach it as well as one of the best things that you can do as a leader is give your team destiny over their own future. Mm -hmm. And how do you give people destiny over their own future? You give them ownership Mm -hmm. and the more ownership you can drive and give to your team and give them responsibilities and give them the ability to grow. That's control over their destiny. Mm -hmm. I love that. What is the legacy that you want to leave behind? Ooh, that's a really great question. Um, I want people to think that I had a good heart and that I just wanted to help serve other people. Like if when when I pass away and I go to heaven, I want people to to say, you know what, he he put a lot of people above himself, and he wasn't perfect but he kept that in his pursuit. Like, you know, we're all in this pursuit of, of whatever we want. And my pursuit is to be a better Christian, to be a better husband, to be a better father, to be a better member of my community. You know, I have this written on my whiteboard right here is to be a great husband, father, and member of Echelon Front. Like, that's my reminder. That's something I want people to think about. It's like, you know what? He was a great Christian, you know, he wasn't perfect, but he was striving to be a good Christian. Mm-hmm. You know what? He wasn't perfect, but man, he loved his wife. He loved his kids. He was a great father. He was a great husband, man. when I called him, he was willing to help me out. Mm-hmm. Whatever he could do, he would do. That's what I want people. Like, I don't, I don't care about all the other stuff, like all the other stuff. It's, it's cool to have when you achieve different levels of success, but that's not what defines you. I want people to think that, man, he had a good heart and he was, he was doing what he could do to serve others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think if a handful of people think that about you, you're, you've done something right in your life. I love that. So tell me about that drink you're drinking throughout this podcast. Is this uh, the sour apple, sour fruit punch, sour gummy bear? What is this? <laughs> no, it's a Jocko Fuel. Um, Which one you know, is it? It's one of the discipline goes that we have. Sour apple sniper. That's yours. Yeah, yeah. The sour. I have not tried that one. Oh, man. Um, well, I'll have to get I'll have to get some shipped to you. Yeah. This. So what is, is this like a... Is this so the healthy, focus one or what is this yeah, one? Yeah, it's a healthy, all natural energy drink. There's only 95 milligrams of caffeine. So you're not getting the jitters and crashing the shakes. It has other vitamins and nutrients in it that helps 
sustain that energy without having to have like a mega like dose of caffeine. Mm -hmm. We've also Mm -hmm. got a pre-workout as well. That's an all natural Mm -hmm. pre-workout, but it's not going to have the jitters and stem that like some people like that, like Mm -hmm. that hardcore stem. Mm -hmm. This is more of like a, Hey, we're going to get you where you need to be without like that weird feeling. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, the discipline goes, uh, you can get them from Jocko fuel. It's a company that Jocko helped create with origin. He partnered Mm -hmm. with origin. They had a small supplement line. He created Jocko Fuel, so they have all, yeah. And so I ended up just by dumb luck trying to be a good friend, I guess, which turned out and helped me out is I was just always promoting Origin and Jocko Fuel. Uh, Origin's goal, and they're doing it right now, is bringing manufacturing back to America. Mm. 100% American-made goods, jeans, boots, sweatshirts, hoodies, uh, geese for jujitsu, rash guards, uh, American workwear. They're now creating a hunting line. Everything's a hundred percent American mm, made. That's awesome. Uh, it's absolutely that's what incredible. we need. Bring what? it. I said, that's what we need. It needs to, everything needs to be brought back to America. Yeah. And it all started in the woods of Maine mm, and Pete that. literally cut down the trees on his property to build a small factory. They started the production of jujitsu geese and then they, they grew it, they grew it. They partnered with Jocko. It started to grow and then it really exploded and then Jock was like, yeah, geese are great. How many people do you know that do jujitsu? And Pete's like, ah, you know, he's like, how many people do you know wear jeans? And Pete's like, everybody. Jock was like, exactly. So we have American-made jeans. Mm. I mean, they're absolutely amazing. You have the hardcore, they call them the factory denim jeans. They're the thick jeans for guys that are, you know, cowboys and construction and ranchers. Um, you know, if you need a good thick pair of hard jeans or hardworking jeans, they got that. They have the Delta 68s. They're lightweight. They're stretchy. They're flexible. I've done deadlifts and squat workouts in those jeans just to prove a point. Kettlebell workouts. I went for a run one time wearing the jeans. I've done jujitsu wearing the jeans. They're legit. Mm. Uh, They're super comfortable. Uh, But yeah, now they're just evolving, evolving, evolving to make sure we're bringing everything back to America. Mm. And it's honored to be a part of that company. The fact that I have a signature energy drink called Sour Apple Sniper is kind of (laughs) crazy. So where do people get the drinks? Because I I, like, can't you get them? I think I've seen them like Wawa. So Wawa's on the East Coast have them. Vitamin shops have them. We're close to finalizing things with Walmart. So that's going to be a good one. All right. That's awesome. Uh, We're working on HEB and Bucky's. Uh, we're also working on the Murphy gas stations in the Texas area. You can get them from places that you can order at, online. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, if that's what you need to do, get it from there. It's better if you go to a place or mm-hmm. just order from Origin's website. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You go to Origin Maine, as in the state, M-A-I-N-E.com or JockoFuel.com. You can order them online. Uh, if you set up an auto ship, you get shipping for free. So cool. That's how we're going to combat other people that ship for free. You do a subscription. We ship for free. Um, you know, there's a discount called uh, code American made that gets people 10% off. So now you're getting 10% off and free shipping, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So we're trying to do what we can to help get that cost down a little bit, but they're still a small company. Like mm-hmm. they're, I mean, they're still a smaller company, but things are getting ready to pick up. It's going to be really cool. That sounds really exciting. Please give me your contact info after and I'll get some sent to you for sure. Okay. Um, where can people follow you at? Can you throw out your social media handles, maybe yeah. echelon front, everything? 
Yep. So uh, yeah, make sure you're following Jocko Willink. Leif Babin is the real Leif Babin because somebody took his Leif Babin, which <laughs> so weird that people do that. Like yeah, whatever. So Jocko Willink, you actually, Jocko's being shadow banned because he speaks the truth. Mm. So you actually have to type in J-O-C-K-O-W-I-L-L-I-N-K to find him, mm. to find his actual page. Yeah. Whole other conversation. Right. And then, yeah, the Leif Babin, L-E-I-F Babin, B-A-B-I-N. I'm J.P. Donnell. So it's just like dinner, but with two L's at the end. J-P-D-I-N-N-E-L-L. And that's on Instagram, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn. I think I'm Jeremiah Donnell. I believe so. Awesome. Um, so I'm not on LinkedIn too often, but um yeah, that's the best way to connect with us. Echelon Front is E-C-H-E-L-O-N-F-R-O-N-T.com. Uh, if somebody was to go to extremeownership.com, they can learn a little bit more about our events. We have an online leadership training program, uh, Extreme Ownership Academy, where people have access to our videos, our trainings. Uh, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we do a live leadership training over Zoom with four only our attendees. Uh, with Jocko Leif, different instructors. So it's it's pretty cool. That's where you and I first connected. Actual yeah. conversation uh, was that. And we've actually completely revamped everything we've done there. We have so many training modules, so many more instructors that are involved. When we first did it, we were just trying to help during COVID. And now it's like a legitimate online leadership training platform mm. that people have access to. They watch the videos, they take a test, they progress along. We're getting all that certified as well, just to help people have certifications. And we're in the, in the pro, I can say this, we're in the progress of making it to where uh, when people go through our different programs, they're going to have certi- certificates certificates that help them progress along with a echelon front uh, leadership program that you'll be certified that you've gone through and you'll be able to help facilitate the trainings that we provide. So I love that coming in the future that's as well. Awesome. Well, you guys are so busy, so many great things that you are doing uh, with yourself personally, but like with the tribe that you have, I'm so happy to hear about all of your successes Thank and you. that you were able to, uh, in a way, like, you know, kind of get back to the brotherhood and surround yourself yeah. with like-minded individuals. And I think that's, that's really important. And, and most importantly, you're, you're fulfilled at what you're doing. So, um, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on today to the Reborn podcast. It meant a lot. And tell your wife, I said, thank you so much for the support and the love because without the support of uh, sometimes complete strangers, like you wouldn't be, I wouldn't be me. You know, I wouldn't have the platform that I have today. So I'm uh, extremely appreciative of that. So same goes to you. Thank you for what you do, the platform. Thank you for whatever your husband does. does. I know you you keep it in the gray, which it Mm -hmm. should be, but thank you for that. And uh, for what your family endures, uh, it's it's good to know good Americans like you that are out there that want to strive to be better. And like you said, never be a burden, but only be an asset. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, a mindset that more people need to adapt. Mm-hmm. Amen. All right, JP. Thank you so much. And I will, uh, I'll see you. All right.
Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast today with JP. So inspiring, um, everything that this man has done. So you can uh, follow him on Instagram, check out all of the stuff, try his sour apple sniper uh, drink that he has and uh, make sure like that you leave us a review, share this. If you got anything from the Reborn podcast, make sure you share it. Uh, and thank you so much again for listening to me and all of my guests on the Reborn podcast from Ironclad. I will see you guys next week. Bye.